much. Nice to be here again. I'm uh, calling in because, just like a week ago, I still have the plague, man. The flu. Debbie and I both have it. Yeah. Uh, so, I don't know. The thing can last a while sometimes. Thank the Lord for modern medicine, modern analgesics, for DayQuil and NyQuil in particular. <laughs> I'm just drinking those things day and night, and they're getting me through. Absolutely. And right now, to be honest with you, I'm thanking the Lord for uh, technology because we are able to do this podcast from about a half hour away from each other where you are in the uh, comfort and quarantine of your home. And uh, <laughs> I am uh, quarantine, yeah. <laughs> here, right. here in Perry Hall being, uh, being safe from the germs. So uh-huh. yeah, good place to be brother. Absolutely. Want to, uh, before we get into it really quick, uh, actually this is a great place to start because um, mission aware, we're highlighting the five solas. So want to make sure we highlight that line for you. They've got uh, great products in that line, T-shirts, mugs, uh, moleskin journals, all kinds of great products from Mission Aware on the five solas. Um, and springboarding into what we're going to be talking about today, Steve, is the Reformation. This is the 500th year, and not just the 500th year, but this is the actual day of the Reformation, October 31st, we are going to release this podcast tonight so that it is October 31st release. Um, before we get into it, though, I just want to make a quick um, comment slash announcement that, you know, we have on this podcast dealt with Halloween in the past. Um, some people might be hearing this for the first time and like, oh, you know, all these guys can talk about is the Reformation on October. No, you know, we actually spent a good bit of time in the past talking about Halloween and um, we are actually in support of people going out and, you know, visiting their neighbors and going out and putting candy out there because when else throughout the entire year are you actually going to get the mission field to come to your house? Um, Yeah, looking back, you know, I, I was raised in a variety of Christianity. Well, not raised in it. From the time I was 17, I was born into reborn into it where uh you know you abhorred all things halloween yeah. <laughs> and uh, i you know i'm a little embarrassed to admit that i was part of that whole deal thank you lord for delivering me for freedom in christ yeah and for what you just said what a great opportunity to you know love and serve your neighbors and get to know them and their kids yeah um and, and just have fun with all the costumes and stuff anyway. Absolutely. So, um, you know, if you are interested in um, our thoughts on Halloween, go back and listen to the one of the episodes we did. But this is, uh, Steve, such a milestone in um, church history. I mean, um, you know, you, you know, clearly the big one is Christ's sacrifice, Easter Sunday, um, establishing the church establishing his church. But when we look throughout history, this is just one of those big milestone moments that uh, I I don't really think we could, you know, ignore um, even if we wanted to. Um, And not that we want to or whatever want to, but we're going to be talking about the Reformation. We're going to be talking about um, focusing specifically on uh, Martin Luther, the 95 Theses, everything that was brought out with the Reformation. But I, I think it's important and prudent to go back even a hundred years before that and talk about the Reformation that was going on um, in England and the things yeah. that were happening there with uh, John Huss and Zwingli and some of the others. Um, so, Steve, if you could um, just kind of, you know, kind of throw this to you a little bit, just. Um, speak to us a little bit about um, some of the things that were going on there, if you could. Oh, well, of course, 
Um, so John Huss's dates were 1369 through 1415. Mm-hmm. And no, I don't happen to know that off the top of my head. I'm reading it right now. But um, uh, he was a, uh, a master, a dean, and a rector at a university in Prague. So mm-hmm. there we can place him. So he was a figure in the Bohemian Reformation, mm-hmm. but a real uh, predecessor to the Protestant Reformation, which uh, – you know, took off exactly 500 years ago. Just so the hearers know, it really was exactly 500 yeah. years ago. It was uh, on this day in 1517. Yes. So 2017, this is the 500th anniversary. We should be having a really big celebration of some kind. I know, right? Drink, well, drink a lot of German beer and make a lot of noise. <laughs> the problem is I do that on a daily basis. So, <laughs> <laughs> Do you like German beers? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Love big fan? Name yep. one that you really like. Um I I enjoy the um, Hofbrau, the um, Hefeweizen that they have. Huh. All right. Pretty cool. Yep. Yep. All right. So um, let's see. There was also uh, Wycliffe. There was Huss. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's another guy I wanted to mention. Who are we missing? Z- Name Zwingli was in that. Zwingli. Movie. Yeah. I don't know a lot about Zwingli. Talk about Zwingli. Um, uh, I'll look him up while you do. Yeah, you know it's it's funny because um, uh, growing up in a Christian school, there you know these are a lot of names that ring true. And I remember doing in depth study of these. Actually, I think I had to write a report on a few of these guys when I was um, <clears throat> you know in my private Christian school. Um, John Huss is the one that I actually remember the most about because he's he's most prominent as, you know, being remembered for the one who was actually burned at the stake, um, for his faith. Um, so the only things that I really, you know, I really remember about like Zwingli and Whitcliffe are the, the movements, the the ministries that kind of were founded after them. Um, so, um, I'm going to use my, great modern technology here and see if I can pull up some information. Um, so yeah, Zwingli 1484 to 1531. So this is actually a little closer to the reformation, um, with Martin Luther, but he was a reformer in Switzerland, um, born during the time of the emerging Swiss patriotism and increasing criticism of the Swiss mercenary system. Um, he attended the university of Vienna, university of Basel, uh, scholarly Center for the Renaissance and Humanism, um, continued on um, serving as a pastor. So, you know, really um, just someone who um, got in there. And back in 1519, he, as a pastor of the church in Zurich, began preaching the ideas of the reform in, in the Catholic Church. Um, he attacked the custom of fasting during Lent, um, which is, you know, kind of interesting. Um, but he also <laughs> talks about, um, you know, different publications, you know, and I think, I think sometimes, you know, what happened with some of these um, reformers for good, bad, or, or indifferent was um, that there was almost where Luther really wanted to reform the Catholic Church. Luther really wanted to get in there and say, you know what, the church is just corrupt, but we need to stay with the church. There was almost this swing to drive so much away from some of the reformers, um, you know. And one of the interesting things about Zwingli is that um, 
you know, he was part of um, the Marburg um, colloquially who met with Martin Luther to talk about the ideas of um, the Eucharist, the ideas of um, the um, communion, uh, because there was Zwingli who really um, did not, I believe it was Zwingli who did not believe that Christ actually um, entered into the elements where I think Luther um, did have that belief. I believe he was a transubstantiationist. Yeah, he was somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Like like he used terminology that's vague and hard to define. Mm-hmm. Like uh, you know, the real presence of Christ is over, under, and in. Yeah. Kind of, it kind of sounds like an old cigarette commercial I remember, <laughs> over, under, around, and through. <laughs> anyway. Uh, instead of the Holy Ghost, you have Holy Smokes, huh? Holy Smokes. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, so um, I think it's important for us to, you know, remember that these guys had a huge presence even before Luther and in many ways they were coming in and, you know, beginning to pave the way for a lot of things um, that Luther was going to do. Um, so, Steve, let's go ahead and jump ahead to the Reformation, 1517, the nailing of the 95 Theses on the Wittenberg church door. Yeah, I'm gonna, if you don't mind, I'm going to back up to Huss again for a moment. Oh, Are you okay, still there? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm yeah, going to back ahead. up to Huss a little bit again. Again, remember he he was the earlier one, 1369 to 1415. Yeah. And uh, Luther was like what a century after that. Yeah, it was a it was a hundred years that he nailed the theses to the door, 15, uh, 1517. So yeah. 102 years, I guess. 102 years. So uh, as you mentioned already, Huss was burned at the stake. Can you imagine that? Burns the stake for being a heretic. Yeah. Hasn't Rome changed? They're not burning anybody at the stake anymore, are they? Yeah. <laughs> they have now some other issues like, going on there, but yeah, no, they're not doing yeah. that anymore. Now they're more like, all faiths are fine. Right. All faiths are the same. Everybody's, everything's equal. Uh, we all love the same God. Anyway, uh, so he was burned at the stake because um, he really came out against Roman Catholic doctrines of that era mm. and you know that was a lot of what got luther into trouble too when he when he started denying purgatory yeah and papal authority and uh what else that the pope had any control over people's stay in purgatory indulgences so yep. uh there were before luther there were people already troubled about these things um but huss was burned 1415 and uh had a lot of had a lot of followers who were still around you know, for for a long time after that, even for you know more than a hundred years or so. So I imagine they played into Luther's knowledge and Luther's formation somehow. Mm. You don't know anything about yeah. that, did they? Uh, I don't know for for certain if they did. Uh, I mean, my understanding is, you know, of Luther is, you know, that he, you know, was straight up going into the monastery looking to become, uh, you know, he was a monk and he was, you know, really seeking salvation um my you know my knowledge of the background of luther is that he actually through reading scripture on his scripture, own yeah. uh came to what we you know know and recognize as the five solas mm-hmm. yeah i think you're right um we should also keep in mind that there were these folks called anabaptists mm. uh they were hanging around from the probably 1500s and um uh, they weren't really protesting the 
the Roman Catholic Church. They were just like being Baptist people out there. Um, that, that's where some of these guys today who say, well, I'm not a Protestant. I'm not protesting anything. My lineage doesn't go back through the Catholic Church. It goes back through the Anabaptist forefathers and all the way back to John the Baptist, which is baloney. You know, nobody can trace all that. Right. But, um, but there were Anabaptists, and we have to remember them. Some of them were our brothers and sisters in Christ, and they were actually – for believers' baptism, they were opposed to the baptism of infants because they said inf- infants can't make a conscious decision, you know, for Christ. Yeah, they don't have their own saving faith. Um, so, uh, who came out of them? People like the Amish today, mm. the Mennonites. Yeah, yep. um, I don't know who else. Other people. Yeah, there. You know, there's a small, um, small group. Um, you know, the Quakers, the Shakers. Um, different people like that who live more simplistic lives tend to be more um, in the the pacifist mindset. Um, you know, those of you who are who remember your history, you know, the Quakers settled in Pennsylvania, and you had a big movement there against um, things like the revolution, anything that really had to deal with war because um, of their their pacifistic nature in that regard. And so, yeah, those were, those were the big groups that kind of came and shot off from the Anabaptists. Yep. And then you also have this name, another John Wycliffe. Yep. Um, I'm looking at his dates, 1320s through 1384. They don't know the exact year of his birth, 1320s Mm -hmm. through 1384. And, um, he was English. Good for him. Um, (laughs) My family's English. My dad was born and raised in England, came over here after World War II. So I like things English. Uh, But, of course, the thing Wycliffe did was uh, he's best known for his translating, man. He he really gave his life to put the scriptures in the language of the people. And he took all kinds of incredible risks to... uh, have Bibles produced and to hide them and to get them distributed. And sometimes they were confiscated and burned and whatever and whatever. But the guy wanted scripture in people's language. And, you know, here we are today, you know, you, you can open up an app on your iPhone and have 42 translations at your fingertips. Yes. Yes. And they were trying to get one translation in their language, man. And they're burning the guy. They're, they're burning copies of it because yeah. the enemies are because they didn't want that. But uh, Wycliffe w- was just a great man kind of standing on his own trying to put the scripture in people's language, which was very important in bringing about the Reformation. When you start reading scripture, you start discovering, ah, the thing the church in Rome was telling us is not in the Bible. It's not true. Right. So um, – you know, he's, he's one of the greats, one of the giants back there. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's important to note too, that, um, you know, he was doing his work before, uh, the invention of the printing press, the printing press didn't come out until the 1440s, um, which is interesting because that's, that's one of the inventions that was credited in the reformation at really yes. to the Bible, into the common man, into, uh-huh. you know, getting that out there quickly. But, you know, you think about just think about God's sovereignty and all of this and everything that had happened, you know, all these people kind of laying the foundation leading up to Luther. Um, you have Wycliffe beginning, you know, with his translations and, you know, just painstakingly, 
you know, tediously, you know, um, word after word, you know, because this is, this is God's word. And this was so important that, you know, they wanted to make sure that it was, it was well preserved and it was well translated. And then, um, you have in 1440, the, um, invention of, uh, Johannes Gutenberg coming around Mr. and Gutenberg. The, the print, the printing press, um, allowing it for when Luther comes, uh, and he, you know, gets his translation of the German Bible, allowing him to get copies into the hands of the people so much faster. Um, so, yep. you know, really, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting to me when people talk about coincidence and, you know, I just, I read this and I look through history and just kind of shake my head and it's like, you know what, there is nothing coincidental about any of this. Yeah, man. Yeah. Prior to Gutenberg, Guys like you and me would not own a book. Yeah. They were just too expensive. They were too rare. You couldn't have books. Yeah. Most of us probably wouldn't be able to read anyway, or a whole lot of us wouldn't be able to. That was for the privileged few right. or two. But um, we have Wycliffe to thank for the first English. It was an older version of English, Middle English. Yep. First English Bible. And uh, by the way, I'm, I'm reading this part now. There still exist about 150 manuscripts, complete or partial, containing uh his translation work in its revised form wow pretty cool wow that's I wonder where they amazing. are i'd love to see that i know right i'm, I'm yeah. sure you know i wonder if there are any in um any of our museums here in america wouldn't doubt it yeah that would, that would yeah. definitely be interesting to to go and see yeah he so. was declared a heretic by the way yeah i mean and, and, I think... and in fact they exhumed his corpse and burned the ashes burned it and threw the ashes into the river swift wow wow (laughs) you know and i think that's a common thread that we see about many of the reformers is um you know they were all condemned by the catholic church as heretics um yeah you know it's not till really you get into the 1900s where you begin to see the catholic church looking at protestants again as brothers um and not as heretics Hmm. amazing yep yeah yeah so i mean you know we get up uh into what we know of as the reformation um i I don't think it's a stretch to say that you know um october 31st uh 1517 was really the uh, the the powder keg, the match being thrown on the powder keg of yeah, that's a good good way to put it. The Reformation, you know, just kind of blowing everything up, making the people aware of the grievances that that uh, Luther had against the church. Yeah, and you know, Luther, uh, for all his amazing things, he was a mixed bag too. He had some. Uh, not so amazing things, and maybe we'll talk about some of them tonight. But first, we ought to heap lots and lots and lots of praise on him for, uh, <laughs> you know, for what he did, and for the guy's courage, huh? Yeah, yeah. For his courage, like we've probably probably a lot of us have seen uh, the old movie on Martin Luther, yes, and where he's he's told you know to recant, and he says, unless you can convince convince me by scripture or by reason, um, mm. I, I I cannot. Here right. I stand. God help me. Yes. Yes. Man, that, that's Amazing. a courageous guy. I got to really appreciate that. Yeah. Well, and you know, what's interesting is all of this comes, um, you know, I'll just, I'll throw another shout out to Mission Aware because Mission Aware has those great shirts post Tenenbrum Lux, 
which is or post tenebras lux which is after darkness light which was the battle cry of the reformation which is what luther saw in his studies that we are saved by grace alone through faith alone through Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, you know, it's scripture alone. So all, you know, the five soul is the, you know, banner of the reformation. Um, all of these things came out of that time period where we remembered as Christians, the importance of scripture, the importance of God, the importance of faith. And we began to break from this, uh, notion that we can do anything to work or re- you know, to redeem ourselves through works. Yeah, we are deeply indebted to Martin Luther for that one. And you remember, too, if if you've seen the movie, how prior to his coming to the light of the gospel, he uh, he would sit in his cell and flagellate or whip himself. Yes. Um, because he felt very deeply that he was a sinful person and there was sin inside. And the only thing he knew to try to deal with that was beat himself, yes. uh, whip himself, and make himself suffer, suffer asceticism. Yes. Um, and then he found the light of the gospel, and wow, yeah. what, what freedom, what beauty came into his life, yeah. what a different man he became. Well, and I think, and, uh, oh, go ahead, Steve, sorry. And I, was, I was about done, and, and he just, he was on fire for the gospel for a yeah. long time, man. Well, and I think it's important to to bring up even more about his past because this was a man, this was a monk who was dedicated to God. I mean, he he wanted to he he truly wanted to serve God. He wanted he thought that this was what he needed to do to earn salvation. You know, you had those steps in Germany that the that the people would get on their knees and they would, you know, walk up on their knees, walking to the top, and for every step you took on your knees, you know, that was one less year of purgatory for your relative. Um, you know, if you were to find I, I mean, you know, I look at Paul and the things that Paul talks about, who he was before Christ, you know, Pharisee among Pharisees, you know, go through goes through his lineage, goes through his education. You know, if there was anything that could be done to earn salvation, I would have done it by now. And that's what I think of when I think of Martin Luther, you know, just, you know, the man would um, on cold winter nights throw the blankets off of him. And on hot summer nights, he would, you know, wrap himself up in, you know, these burlap sacks because he felt like, that this guilt would overcome him if he felt any amount of comfort or joy because he thought that's what the gospel was. He thought the gospel was you achieve salvation through misery, through suffering. And then he reads that, no, salvation comes through Christ who went through the ultimate misery, who went through the ultimate suffering. And, and that's when he found the freedom that you're talking about. Really sweet. You know, his dad wanted him to be a lawyer. Yes, I do remember that. His dad was a hard-working, working-class man, successful businessman. Uh, His mom also kind of working-class woman, and uh, she helped out with the family and all that. But um, they wanted him to be a lawyer, so he agreed and went off to school to uh, start preparing for law. And now I'm reading this part. In 1501, when he was 17, he entered the university which he later described as a beer house and a whorehouse, <laughs> which sounds like, you know, some fraternities today, huh? 
Yeah. Things haven't changed, man. Um, <laughs> the education system's working in full swing. That's right. So uh, he, he wasn't real thrilled about it, but he did get a master's degree. He enrolled in law school then after the university. Uh, but he was just drawn. He, was, he had this philosophical bent. He was drawn to philosophy and theology, and you know, he wanted to read Aristotle and whoever else. Um, so uh, he didn't he didn't last in in law, and much to his father's great chagrin, he decided he would uh, he would pursue the ministry. Yeah, you, you know the story about that too. I, I you've probably heard this one where uh, he was on some trip and riding a horse. And there was a thunderstorm, and a lightning bolt struck somewhere near him. I've never had that happen. Have you ever had that happen? I have not, thankfully. I don't know what I would do if I did. Yeah, I've never had that happen. Um, It terrified him. He was, like, scared of death. And um, he cried out. Now I'm reading this part. He cried out, help, St. Anna, I will become a monk. Mm. And he viewed that cry as a vow he could never break. Yeah. And so... He left law school, he sold his books, and he entered St. Augustine's Monastery in Erfurt in 1505. That's amazing. Could a you, thunderbolt. Could you imagine how many people, um, you know, if in a moment of uh, terror or, <laughs> you know, distress, who cried uh-huh. out to God, kept their uh, kept their vow? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I, I bet a lot of important decisions have been made at this time. Yes. <laughs> uh. Oh, my word. That's funny. Yeah, you know, and I just I think it's again so important that we we bring all these things up and we you know we talk about this because um, you know it, it's interesting, Steve. One of the things that we just got through doing was a two part series on um, leadership in the church, and you know we went through those whole that whole list of requirements. One of the things that I want to get into is you know talking a little bit about. Uh, Luther's later years, um, you know, you brought up the whole thing about, um, you know, him being in, in uh, college, you know, uh, but I, I mean, I've heard it said of Luther in general, you know, Luther loved his beer and his women, um, you uh. know, and that, um, you know, later in life, he really um, denounced the Jewish people, harsh anti-Semitic yep. words. There's one um, of the real downsides of Luther. Yeah. Yes. Um, You know, but my thought is, you know, could you imagine if Luther lived today um, Hmm. going through the Reformation and all of a sudden, you know, he goes through and he starts doing all this stuff. Could you imagine what the Reformed community would do to that man today? Yeah, good point. (laughs) Absolutely. And yet he's a hero. Yeah. You You can have all kinds of things wrong in your theology and life as long as you're dead. And yeah. reformed and reformed guys will still honor you, wear them, wear your picture on their shirt and whatnot. But but if you were alive today, yeah. oh, they'd slay you, man. They'd call you a heretic. They'd call you all kinds of things. Absolutely true. Yeah, and I think that's an important note for us to you know just be like uh, you know as Christians we uh, we can do hero worship just like anyone else can. You know we might not praise a guy on the basketball court, but you know we'll sure lift a guy up who. Uh, you know, who, who did some, and I would say, you know, um, arguably great things for the church. But, you know, at the end of the day, when you look at it, he was just a dude. He was just a guy who was sinful, who had his problems and issues. Um, 
you know, and I think those are things that we need to remember. You know, not only do you have Luther during this time frame, um, but you also have John Calvin, you know, and I, I remember learning about Calvin. And I remember one of the things that was said about Calvin was he ruled Switzerland with an iron fist, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know. Yep. Um, and he and he persecuted Baptists and had some of them consented to their death anyway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so imagine there's a guy in the United States today and he's a pastor, a theologian. And he's consenting to the death of some other sect of Christianity. What, what would people call him today? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I think this this needs this really deserves some recognition that that we will champion guys who had really bad things in their life and theology and practice. But when guys have little specks in their eyes in our day, we crucify them, man. We just kill them yeah like i'd like to name some people here but i won't uh, so, some people who get slain by super duper reform types yeah uh and come on they're better than calvin was they're better than luther was yeah yeah and i and i think that's so you know that's so important to remember is you know what um first of all can we can we be a little bit more consistent here that you know, at the end of the day, yeah, Luther, um, he, he did some great things, but, but let's be honest and real. The only reason, reason Luther did great things was because God was doing great things through Luther. Yeah. Um, and you know, but he was, and, and I think that that's the evidence of that is that, yeah, God was working in Luther and, but he was, he was still a man. He was still subject to sin. I mean, he was subject to hatred, you know, and, um, you know, what is, what does the Bible talk about when it talks about hatred, you know? Um, so looking at scripture and like, you know, the Christ condemns hatred because he tells us that he's love and that he expects his disciples to be love. And, you know, uh, Luther certainly wasn't showing love when he was saying those things. Um, Calvin certainly wasn't showing love when he was, you know, signing those death sentences. Um, so, you know, yeah, I mean, so, some uh, and and so I would you know argue yeah some of their theology was great some of it not so much <laughs> really not so much so for example not only was Luther's uh, strong anti-Semitism a, a real glaring error in his theology in his life uh, he had some really interesting views of women yeah so. You know, it comes up here and there in his writings, but especially in his table talk, he says things. Some of it's just funny, but some of it's kind of awful. Like, let me read you a few quotes right now. I've got them in front of me here. So here's one. Luther said, The word and works of God is quite clear that women were made, women were made either to be wives or prostitutes. Wow. Like, oh. that. that's your only two options, girls. You've got to be a wife or you're going to be a prostitute. I don't know. Here's another one from Luther. Uh, No gown, like a gown that you wear, like a wedding gown or something. Mm -hmm. No gown worse becomes a woman than the desire to be wise. Wow. It's not woman's place to try to be wise. Um, Here's another one. Men have broad and large chests and small, narrow hips. And more understanding than women who have but small and narrow breasts and broad hips to the end that they should remain at home, sit still, keep house, and bear and bring up children. Oh, my Martin word. Luther. <laughs> <laughs> There's your heroes, uh, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> how, 
nobody, nobody's making a T-shirt with that on there, are they? <laughs> I don't know. They should. Maybe they'd sell a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, he was maybe standing on the shoulders of some who went before him. So he, he might, you know, he might have come by it honestly. Like, again, St. Augustine. Yeah. Like I've told you, my number one favorite book in the world is outside of the Bible is his Confessions. Yes, it's sublime, it's beautiful, it's pastoral, it's yeah. uh, it's amazing, it's gorgeous. Um, but Augustine had some really terrible views of women too. Like, let me read you a little Augustine quote: "Woman does not possess the image of God in herself, but only when she is taken together with the male who is her head. Uh, when she is assigned the role as helpmate." Then she is not the image of God, but as far as the man is concerned, he is by himself alone the image of God. So anyway, what it amounts to is woman herself. If you have a woman alone, she is not created in the image of God. Sorry to all those single ladies out there. Yeah, really? Wow, and where did he get that out of Scripture? Yeah. You'll go back to Genesis again. Where, where did he get that? Yeah. Um, here's another one from Augustine. What is the difference, whether it is in a wife or a mother— it is still Eve the temptress that we must be aware of in any woman. Now here, get get ready. Ladies, just sit down, all right? This, this is bad. This is not good. I'm not saying this is good. He says, I fail to see what use woman can be to a man if one excludes the function of bearing children. Oh. St. Augustine. So, you know, Luther, Luther read this. Yeah. Uh, and these are some of the shoulders that he had to stand on. So maybe we can cut Luther a little slack. He didn't have, uh, you know, Wayne Grudem and John Piper's recovering biblical manhood and womanhood to, <laughs> to, to read and balance him out and help him along. Uh, but Luther said some bad stuff about women, man. Just He actually said a lot of coarse stuff, too, that doesn't bear repeating. Yeah, and I think I, I think that needs to to resonate or not resonate but i think that needs to sit with us and we need to remember you know what the people that you are condemning many times in 2017 um you know when when i look at some of those people and and i'll admit that there are you know there are people that i get on my hobby horse <laughs> um, there are there have to be yeah you know yeah. it happens but to remember you know i to me, I feel like in all fairness, I'm willing to get on Luther about this. Like I'm willing to sit there and say, you know what? He has some great teachings. He was not the son of God. He was not God. He was a human who had issues and I'm willing to take the bad in or take the good and discard the bad and say, you know what? He did some great things. I, you know, we are, um, in certain ways indebted to the things that, um, he did, that God used him to do. Um, but at the same time, I think we can very honestly say that, you know what? Um, sometimes what we get is this hero worship where, Oh, look at this. He could do no wrong. Uh, he did a lot of wrong. He was a person. He was a dude like you, like me. Um, you know, can we cut our neighbor in 2017? The, the pastor who's alive, some slack, who is also dealing with whatever, you know? Um, and I, no, I, you, you have to be dead and famous to get some slack. Yeah. 
but but I like what you said, Steve, about you know the shoulders that he was standing on with certain people because really you know at the end of the day we can sit there and say you know he he's looking at you know people like Augustine and some of the others that came earlier. You know the fact of the matter is he wasn't looking at Christ. And so, you know, in today's society, I think we can make a similar sympathetic argument for people, you know, where, oh, you know, this person, you know, kind of falls under so-and-so or this person, you know, was a fan of so-and-so. This person... That affected them. Yeah, you know, and and I think we can go ahead and cut them a little slack and say, you know, uh, we're, we're all people. We all fall under other people at different times. We all fall under other people's teachings at different times. Um, but you know, by the grace of God, we come into the complete truth of his word. And, you know, um, we, we see that, you know, what's interesting is that for Luther, it's, it's not like these were things that he had at the beginning of his life where, you know, he kind of had an opportunity that we see to repent of these things. And, you know, the things that he said, particularly about the Jews, the, the, the anti-Semitic statements he made about the Jews actually came toward the end of his life. We're talking about a man who had gone through the Reformation, who had translated the Bible in German, who had, you know, talked about faith alone, grace alone, but yet he had this hatred for this group of people. Um, and and I think it's important to not let that sit lightly, to not lightly gloss over that, because if we do, we miss the whole point of the gospel that, that, you know, Luther needed the gospel. Like we need the gospel because these are the dark <laughs> desires of our heart. These are the dark, dark thoughts of our heart that come out. Yeah. Great. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, it also reminds me that uh, none of us comes to our Bible and reads it without looking through a lens. Mm. We're all looking through a lens of something we've already experienced, something we've already heard, something we've already believed, a system of theology we've already adopted. <clears throat> and so we tend to see what we expect to find looking through our lens when we go to Scripture. Um, you know, that can explain some of Luther's weird stuff about, say, women, for example. Yeah. He was steeped He was steeped in Augustine. He loved Augustine. He read a lot of Augustine. And uh, that was the lens that he had to look at Scripture with when he got to Scripture. So he saw what he expected to see. Uh, I don't have that lens on. I don't see those things about women when I go to Scripture. I see a very different picture uh, about women. But again, so it is in our day, as you were saying. I'm just saying the same thing in different words. Yeah. Um, Here's a guy over there who's a pastor at some other kind of church, and we like to throw rocks at him. But uh, if I came from where he did and with the lens he had on and his upbringing and the school he went to and all that, I'd probably be right where he is. Yeah. 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 And, I, and I think that is key. You know, that's so important to remember is, you know, there everybody is coming with a predisposition, a presupposition, I should say, to certain things of the Bible, you know, and it's by reading scripture, it's by taking the time to pray and to really seek out what God's word says that, you know, those things are driven from us. And really, you know, what it is, just like the, you know, the unregenerate heart needs the Holy Spirit in order to be saved. As Christians, we need the Holy Spirit to discern, uh, to to overcome our presuppositions, to overcome our predispositions when we read the word. Um yeah, so. amen to that. So and one of the great sides, of course, about Luther was um, 
uh, his fight, and really the Reformation was a fight over the the issue of authority. Yes, it, it was a fight for the gospel, of course, but maybe at a deeper level, at its roots, it was a fight over authority. Who has authority to declare what is true, what is right, what is wrong? Uh, do do church councils have that authority? Does the Pope have that authority? Um, or or is only Scripture have that authority? And of course, he argued vociferously, only Scripture. Only scripture, mm. sola scripture, only scripture. Um, man, we are indebted to him for that. And yes. that's a theme. That's a theme. Some, <laughs> I, I'm reformed, all right? I'm a reformed guy. <laughs> but some of my fellow reformed guys who are like super califragilistic, expialidocious reformed guys, um, they need to remember that this is about authority. And the only authority is scripture so like this thing that you're teaching this thing that's your view can you really find that in scripture yeah like would paul recognize that that you're teaching would the galatians have been taught that did the romans get taught that uh is it really in scripture or is it just something you make it up because when i was a reformed baptist dude there was a lot of stuff we made up man we mm-hmm. thought we found it in scripture we justified it from scripture it was bogus exegesis mm. It yeah. really was. So back to the Reformation, back to sola scripture, back to the authority of the Bible only, and not some church leader, some leader of our segment of Christ church, some leader of our denomination or whatever scripture. Mm. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's so good to to remember and keep in mind because, you know, the fact is at the end of the day, um, you know, if you're... Uh, allegiance is to a denomination or to a church or even to a person um, and it's not to scripture alone, then those things are going to be led astray. I mean, look at the split that's come from so many churches across the United States. I mean, we have the PCA, we have the PCUSA, um, you know, split because the, the denomination itself believed that they had just interpreted scripture to, you know, say all this stuff that it shouldn't be saying, you know, that, oh, you know, there's nothing wrong with homosexuality. And why don't we have, you know, homosexual and and when I when I say that, I mean, actively practicing homosexual pastors and leaders. And, you know, I'm not talking with about somebody who struggles with that, because, you know, we've had Sam Albury on here before, and he struggles with same sex attraction. But, you know, this is a man who realized that he struggles with this and has, you know, clearly read scripture and said, you know what? Yeah, I struggle with this. This is in my sin nature, but um, I'm going to live my life uh, celibate. If God has not taken these feelings from me, then clearly he has not intended me for marriage. And so I'm going to live like that and I'm not going to live like I'm married. And, um, you know, so tremendous respect for people like that. But I mean, the church can so easily be corrupted. And if we forget that as Protestants, then really we're forgetting, particularly as reformed Protestants, we're forgetting the roots from which we came. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Um, that that it was out of a corrupt church system. The, the, the Catholic Church, the universal church, did not start off corrupt. It became that way because that's because people are running it. Man is is in those positions of leadership. And so, you know, I, I don't care where you are, if you are not rightly reading God's word and as Paul says, studying it like a true Berean, um, you know, you're in trouble. 
And, and I say that as someone who, you know, I know you, Steve, I know that you are uh, faithful to God's preaching. Uh, my own pastor, Greg, I know he's faithful to God's preaching, but I'll tell you what, I know that you guys are just guys. I know that you sin and struggle just like anyone else. And so I want to make sure that I'm reading God's word and that the things that you're saying to me are rightly lining up with that and that you're not bringing your presuppositions or predispositions into the text. Yeah, if you really want to know me and if you really want to know Greg, ask our wives. Yes. <laughs> You'll find out about the sins and the struggles, unless they won't tell you. They probably won't tell you. Right. But, but if, if they would tell you, yeah, you'd get it all right then. Yeah. Um, so, uh, oh, man, now I forget because I got onto that. Oh, I know. Uh Talking about scripture only, yeah, uh, that really has two sides. The one side I was emphasizing a moment ago, and you and I have both talked about here, is uh, let's not find things in scripture that aren't there. Yes. But then there's the other side, and you were just talking about this. Let's make sure we do find what is in scripture. Mm. Yeah, so like what scripture says about um, gay marriage, mm-hmm. what scripture says about you know the gay lifestyle, actually living as a gay let's find that in scripture what scripture says at least by implication about uh, abortion let's mm. find that in scripture uh so let's make sure we do find things even if they're not culturally popular yes yeah yeah no absolutely you know and i think um we're actually um you know we're kind of coming in on um about 45 minutes here you know i don't i don't think we need to go you know a full hour uh we we kind of did that the past two episodes but you know just kind of some thoughts as as i think we're gonna kind of wind down here steve on my end is you know this is again you know 500 years of the reformation post tenebrous lux after darkness light the whole emphasis of what Luther was doing was trying to get the people back into the word of God. And I think that is so, it's a message that is ripe for all times in Christendom because we can become so complacent where we are. Uh, You know, I think about myself sometimes, um, you know, my Christian walk, my heart, you know, where it bends and where it leads toward. And so the importance of being in scripture, getting back to scripture, um, you know, not just taking, um, a pastor's or a speaker's or a teacher's word for what scripture says, but making sure that I'm reading it and making sure that I'm, I'm holding myself accountable to the things that it does say with absolute certainty and making sure that I'm not being as rigid with others to the things that it doesn't say. And as a pastor, um, making sure that our church gets fed a, a really good diet of scripture mm. and not just other stuff. Mm. We have, uh, more and more people, your guests, showing up at our church, and uh, lots of them sticking with us, by the way. It's really nice. Um, but they're telling me, usually they don't name what church they've come from mm-hmm. because they want to tell me what was bad about it. Right. So that's good that they don't name it. But like one guy just showed up and he said, well, I, I just moved to this area from wherever, and uh, you're the second church I visited. The first church I visited, their Sunday sermon was, uh, they were just launching a new series, and it was going to be, it's Finding Christ in Movies. And all the guy did was talk about a movie for the entire sermon and how the various characters could illustrate this and that, which is a biblical truth, and how this could illustrate Christ and how Christ delivers us. And so, But, like, they never cracked the Bible. Mm. Mm. So he thought, 
the guy who visited our church and told me about this. He was rather distressed yeah. and wanted to know, you know, at our church, would we be cracking the Bible? <laughs> yeah, we try to take care of that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> try to try to cover lots of that. Yeah. So, and I know you guys do at your church too. Yeah, and I, you know, and I think, I mean, honestly, I think that's a good point too because, you know, we've kind of moved away from this real um, heavy kind of lock up, lock and key of the Bible, you know, not letting people know what it says, but we've moved to a more subtle, well, let's throw in a little bit of Hollywood and let's do a little bit of this, you know, and, and, um, Steve, you know, you, you and I know each other. Um, you know, when Greg was here, you know, Greg and I would riff on movies all the time. I love movies. I love entertainment. You know, I can have great theological discussions with people about movies, but to me, the time for that is not behind the pulpit. It's not in my sermon. That's right. I I, I don't need to know how, uh, you know, Mel Gibson, um, you know, is a Christ-like figure in Lethal Weapon, you know. Um. (laughs) Yeah, you know, aside from maybe a brief illustration here or there, you know, a line quoted or whatever, but constructing a whole sermon series, a whole series of sermons on movies, and you just talk about the movies. Yeah. Stocks, man. It's not the idea at all. Hey, uh, I know you said it's about time to go, but one other thing. Absolutely. Uh, do you know whether it's true, true or false? True or false? I don't know the answer. When Luther's locked up for his own safety at Wartburg Castle, uh-huh. and while he's there, you know, he translated the New Testament into German, and that was really cool that he got to do that. It's cool that he was locked up. He had nothing else to do, so he sat around and translated. Yep. But there's this story, and I wonder if it's apocryphal or if it's true, where the devil appeared to him in his study, and he picked up his inkwell mm. and threw it at the devil. Have you, yeah. you heard that story? I, I have heard that story. I've do heard you know, it. is that supposed to be true or not? You know, I don't know because I've heard another story similar to that um, where um, he was sleeping at night, same, same, uh, you know, same scenario, same castle. You know, he had been up working working on the translation. He was just so tired. He went to bed and he, uh, he just felt this presence and woke up and the devil was standing at the edge of his bed. And, you know, he just kind of looked at him and then turned over and went back to sleep. Um, oh, man. So. You, just, you just made the hair on my legs stand up. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. But, you know, I think, um, uh, I I think those stories are, you know, at the very least, I think there's something, you know, telling that, um, you know, whether, whether the devil actually came to him or whether a demon actually came to him, I think it's very telling that there was literal spiritual warfare going on during this whole time. Yeah, there was, there had to be Yeah, with such a great work and a great man and such a courageous man and such great truths being uncovered. You can be sure the devil wasn't very happy. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Steve, um, you know, this has been fantastic as always thank you so much for jumping in on this uh talking a little reformation 500 years of the reformation people um you know this is something to be excited about this hopefully has given you a sense of renewal um if anything hopefully you will go and fact check all of steve and my misinformation that we've been (laughs) spitting out on this podcast and No, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not a church historian. Um, now that we're all, now that we're about finished, after we're done, are you going to put on your costume and go out trick or treating? Uh, you know, I'm not because I did that. Um, I did that last week. I went over to some friend's house and we had a Halloween party. So um, I am Ooh. going to, however, sit down with some candy and watch some uh, Halloween movies. So <laughs> sounds like fun. Yep. So what about you? Are you going to be uh, going out with the grandkids or anything? 
No, man, with this this flu, I've been avoiding all humanity. Gotcha. Like, I had meetings today, canceled the meeting. I gave the people the option. Hey, do you want to meet? I have the flu. Right. They all said, no, thanks. Let's reschedule. <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> so, uh, Fantastic. Nope, I'm staying away from the grandkids right now. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead. Um, Steve, once again, thank you so much. We're going to sign off now. We just rocked the Casbah. These go to 11.